Hi, I'm Alicia Abendroth, and this is Tridge Agri Insider, your agri food for thought podcast where we talk about anything and everything agri food supply chain. Brought to you by Tridge. Maria Mateo Ibora, co founder of Ibisa Network, is combating risk in the agri food supply chain. Her InsurTech startup delivers customized parametric insurance for climate-related challenges. But why is risk such a big deal? Well, with the rise of climate events, farmers' risk is at maximum level. If the risk becomes unmanageable for farmers, we could face global food security issues. Well, thank you for joining Agri Insider today, Maria. How are you? I'm very good. How about yourself? Doing well, thank you. So I thought, you know, you you have a really interesting background. You're a Spanish-born climate insured tech specialist with an agricultural background living in Luxembourg, right? Um, You've been in this industry for a long time. Can you kind of give us a snapshot view of what you, where you think the industry is today? You know, what are some things you're seeing um, in the industry, I guess, what is the state of the industry from your perspective? I think, I mean, if you look at investments in agriculture, let's start from this uh, point of view. Um, I think we are seeing one of the biggest moments in agriculture investments from public, from private, And you just need to look at who is the biggest farmer in the world, that is Bill Gates. So that is saying a lot about how, I mean, we all know how important agriculture is, but I think this, uh, you know, feeding the world in the current conditions is definitely uh, everyone's priority. So I think agriculture is definitely a very exciting uh, segment at the moment, receiving a lot of attention. No, I, I, I agree completely. I think um, this sector has really found a lot of traction in the last couple of years specifically. I think I see some personally some correlation even with COVID-19. I think we've had a lot of changes happening um, in the sector holistically that are driving, um, driving a lot of change, especially currently. Um, Maybe just to kind of back up a bit and we can get into some of the trends and things just now, but, you know, what got you into agriculture? How did you find this industry? Well, I think I was born a bit in the industry, so I'm coming from an agriculture family. Um, and since I was uh, a kid, I started like summers working on the field and uh, and uh, like uh, other people, but we also, and I also experienced a kind of uh, different weather calamities during this period. Uh, in Spain, it was uh, hail, it was uh, droughts. And, and I think, you know, seeing how uh, vulnerable uh, farmers are when they are faced to this uh, it's an experience I really mark that really marked me, and and after moving to a different industry and uh, and getting a lot into 
technology, I ended up coming to the roots and, and trying to make a use of my knowledge to improve this uh, feeling of uh, <laughs> alone in the dark that farmers have after, uh, after uh, you know, devastating climate events. Yeah, um, those climate events, I, I've experienced them firsthand myself uh, at a farm level. Um, they can completely destroy a crop. And, you know, uh, I think what you're doing, the work you're doing is, is extremely important. Um, so you said you grew up in agriculture. Can you share a little bit more? I, I mean, what, what, what kind of farm, what kind of, what kind of life was that? So basically, in my family, we are coming from several generations here in where, I mean, I'm from the south of Spain, wow. so it's mostly in uh, citrix, so lemons, but also like, uh, you know, uh, uh, almonds, and, uh, and now there is more and more things in, in greenhouse, but uh, yeah, uh, mostly lemons, almonds. <laughs> So what generation would you be if you went back to the family business? Well, I did not go that far, but at least the last four generations are. <laughs> I mean, okay, four generations is already a long time to be in a family business. Um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of countries, emerging markets, they're starting from complete scratch. So you have really, truly, I think in four generations, what I call a legacy um, business. Is, is that kind of common for where you are in Spain? Are there a lot of family businesses? I think in Agri, I would say yes, uh, <laughs> but not in other uh, type of businesses. No. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. Um, so, so what makes you passionate then about the industry? And you kind of touched on this, you mentioned, you know, um, you saw the climate events firsthand at your family business or at the farm that you grew up on. Um, maybe do you have some examples or, or, or a time maybe in that, that journey that really highlights this passion of yours to work in climate tech? Basically, the thing is, you know, I, I'm an engineer. So I okay. study telecommunication and I'm also very passionate about space <laughs> and how a space can help the people um, and especially everything around observing the earth, so the remote sensing. So I think what makes me very uh, passionate is, you know, to see that there are technologies where can I mean, that can really help improving the situations in a very, uh, you know, smooth and, and, um, and easy manner. We just need to use them. <laughs> so I think what makes me very passionate is first is because it's my, you know, my, uh, in my roots, uh, and then there was a problem and I never found, you know, a peace of mind, let's say. Mm -hmm. Uh, is, is this sick of peace of mind, bringing peace of mind to, to people in the same situation, coupled with uh, finding a way to, to, to somehow uh, move the needle in, in, this, uh, in this journey? Yes, moving, moving the needle in a small way to contribute to hopefully a bigger change. Um, so what 
I mean, and maybe this links right back and let's maybe talk about Ibiza Network for a second. So maybe you could just highlight what does Ibiza Network do and, and what impact are you trying to leave behind with Ibiza? So, I mean, basically Ibiza is a climate insure tech, mm -hmm. uh, but the highlight probably is uh, the peace of mind. So we are trying to bring peace of mind to farmers so that uh, we can help them becoming more resilient against climate change. So what we are doing is end-to-end -end solutions to bring innovations in the insurance angle with products that are very simple to understand, that operate in a very simple manner so that farmers don't need to have this cumbersome claim process but are, um, you know, painless, smooth, uh, process after an event. So when events occurs, the farmer doesn't need to worry. They will just receive the payout. Mm -hmm. uh, stop. <laughs> so the, the idea with Ibiza is really use technology to innovate in insurance to bring peace of mind to farmers. And when something happened, uh, you know, insurance is uh, part of the solution and not part of the problem. I I love that insurance is part of the solution and not part of the problem. So for those, because I you know we have a really broad range of listeners, um, some who've dealt with some of these problems right on the farm, all the way up to those who are just trying to get a flavor of the industry. So why maybe just to break it down very simply, why is insurance so important for the industry today, and you know, what does the current process without Ibiza network look like? So insurance is a powerful tool for farmers to de-risk. So in, uh, I think every, in every business you have risk management. I mean, you have risk, you have risk management. Agriculture is the same. And insurance is an underused uh, important tool to de-risk and especially to de-risk events that are outside the control of people, like climate. Because, uh, you know, farmers have uh, evolved a lot in farm management, in uh, pest and disease control, in, uh, in becoming more clever when planting, harvesting, so digitalizing the farm, everything. But there are some elements that are outside our control. And these uh, events are climate related mostly. So with insurance, uh, there is a powerful tool there to help farmers uh, be more resilient and de-risk their investment and their work. So what we are trying to work is uh, to bring insurance to the next level so that on top of their attributes of insurance, uh, you know, it becomes easy, transparent, timely, painless. And, yep. um, and this is what we bring by using uh, index-based or parametric insurance um, type of products that we can explain a bit more, but yeah. Okay, okay. So uh, what you're saying is, if I kind of understand correctly, the current industry, though, they use insurance, so it's an important tool, but 
like we all also experience that, you know, our, our family, you know, family homes is a good example. We have an insurance policy, something happens. A lot of insurance companies try to fight the claim or they'll, you know, want to only cover 70% or they'll find a loophole. And, and we don't need to name any names, right? We don't need to kind of bash any providers. Um, but I think it's really relatable to even just everyday people this kind of struggle that we might face with insurances um, that cover anything, right? Health insurance. I mean, we were just a family anecdote at the dentist and, you know, the copay um, in addition for a root canal for one of my family members was like 800 euros, right? And you just wonder, well, you know, the, the tooth can't rot. How, how does this how can it be like this? How can it be that we still have to pay nearly a thousand euros to um, to help the insurance cover something that should be, in my eyes, um, standardized, right? And I think you see this most likely in agriculture as well. And you might have a more unique perspective from Spain and also Europe. I know you have some global presence, but um, I mean, let's dive deeper into what inefficiencies are you solving with Ibiza network in this existing, you know, fairly at times hesitant insurance, <laughs> let's put it that way. With these hesitant insurance providers, you know, what is the problem that you're really solving within this current existing system? Well, maybe before on top of that, this is for the people that have access to insurance and Today, right. the penetration of agri-insurance globally is around 5% for emerging economies and around 20% for 20-25% for developed countries. Uh, I mean, these numbers are really scary. And these numbers, they come from two angles. One in emerging economies is a bit caused by the, uh, you know, financial literacy or lack of financial literacy, but also because uh, in emerging economies, majority of farmers are small scale. So to build for insurers to provide products that are not loss making um, for farmers that are very small with very small uh, land uh, in very remote places in a traditional way of insurance, this is not possible. And mm -hmm. that's why there is the offer of this type of products is very, very limited in, uh, in emerging economies. So this is one, uh, the first aspect to, on, on how technology can change the picture. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, by using um, satellite data. So by using remote sensing and satellite data, we are, um, you know, agnostic to the fact that uh, if the field is uh, in a remote place or in a near place, we have data from all over the world. So there is no limitation in terms of location or size um, because we don't need to have ground data and we don't need to go to the to this location uh, at any given time 
So on one hand, that helps on designing products. So we can design products using satellite data and based on the historical data. Like we look at the last 20, 30 years of data to see how often an event happened, how severe. And based on this risk profile, then we can build a product, price it. So this is one thing that we can build products for clients for places where before was not possible. So like mm -hmm. market opening. And from an operational standpoint, so once the product is there, um, we automate everything also by using satellite data. So when the product is defined, let me put you an example, uh, like in the Philippines, we have a typhoon cover and this is based on daily rainfall and daily wind speed. So we have some limits that we call triggers, where if the amount of rainfall is reaching these limits, uh, that correlates with an event like a typhoon, and then we automatically detect and automatically pay. So the farmer will not need to file a claim. Nobody will need to go wow. to the field to do an assessment and then come back do the file, wait for a period of time that can be between some months to a year or more. Uh, if they are not in agreement, there will be a, an adjustment of the claim. So it can be a very administrative, time-consuming and, and worrisome process while by using, by working on the parametric insurance from a parametric insurance uh, product design, uh, with satellite data, all this is removed because it's designed based on the past uh, data with satellites and then it's operated uh, with these limits that we set based on the profile of a particular place. And if something happened, then it's automatically detected and it triggers a payout without any intervention from the farmer. So it should be in their account in some days. So, okay. So now my question is, and I, you know, I already gave the case study of the, uh, you know, dental providers who don't want to pay for, for full dental care. What is the benefit for the insurance companies? Because this sounds too good to be true for the farmer's side, right? I think part of the reason why I personally don't even file claims is because I have to get a PhD in their system and processing <laughs> before I can even file a claim in my personal life, right? So, you know, eliminating all of this bureaucracy, standardizing processes. I mean, you talked about like a risk scale and all these things. I mean, what is the benefit for insurance providers and how are you managing those strategic partnerships? So at the end, uh, you know, data is uh, knowledge. <laughs> and, and so by analyzing when insurance companies do products in a traditional way, uh, there is a bit of uncertainty. Uh, so the, there is not a good understanding on the risk, on, uh, on the probability of an event happening. Uh, it's everything more broad and wide and is based on the loss of large numbers. If I have a loss here, probably I will not have a loss there. Mm -hmm. So it's the uncertainties are higher. While 
in uh, index insurance, so using satellites data, using data, past data to model uh, risks and to have a good understanding of the risk, uh, especially in, in you know, um, events as complex as climate. And this gives the insurers more certainty about what to expect. Uh, in insurance, this is called the loss ratio. So mm -hmm. the amount of premium I get compared to the amount of payouts I, I give. Uh, there should be a good balance because of course, it's not about making the insurers go bankrupt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there needs to be a balance between this loss ratio, between premium that come and payout that goes and having a good understanding when designing products on what is this loss ratio in a period of time, this gives uh, insurers certainty. So I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mobilizing capital with certainty is easier than with uncertainty. So this is one thing. The other thing is that by cutting dramatically uh, admin costs, they can do more of what they do best, that is placing money into risk, uh, uh, taking risk in a more efficient manner. So they are saving on human, um, on labor costs and admin uh, processes and focusing on managing, you know, their balance sheets, their risk-taking component of the business. So at the end, it becomes more cost-efficient and they can focus more on, on, on the risk, on their core. Um, so this opens, you know, a bigger business to insurers because uh, as I was saying, before this type of products, they could not address a big part of the population with this type of products, they can address a bigger part of the population so their uh, uh, business can grow multiple X because now they can reach more people. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there is a number of benefits there. So bigger business opportunity and bigger understanding of the risk they are onboarding. So I think these two are the, the main. Yeah, so it sounds like, and I'm, I'm now I'm starting to, because insurance is a very new space for me. I mean, I, I've, I've been a, a taker of insurance, but I've never worked in insurance, right? Um, so what I'm kind of understanding is you'll give more access to for, further reach for insurance providers, but also more data to place more intelligent premiums on suppliers. So for example, before maybe they were insuring a high risk region with extreme typhoon risk at a very low premium, not knowing the frequency and the data behind this um, location or geography, right? But then they were overcharging other places with um, very, very low risk, you know, uh, where there's almost no climate events or, you know, these are the kind of things. So you start optimizing, it sounds like the premiums and almost make them, and I don't know if this is me stretching, but more fair, could that be like, it's a more fair system through what you're providing. That's the objective. Definitely. <laughs> okay. 
That's really interesting. So, so how did you learn all of this? I, I mean, cause you came from the farming background, you know, you started a climate tech, agri tech, uh, insure tech startup, but I mean, what, what was the path between point a farm in Spain and you know, where you are today? I mean, I love to learn new things. Uh, I think I, I've been uh, learning constantly uh, all the time. And, and definitely since I started Ibiza, uh, you know, the learning has been exponential. <laughs> but um, as I, I mean, I, I'm an engineer by trade. I've been in the satellite and the space industry for around 15 years when uh, another technology that I love, blockchain, started. I also um, deep dive into it and work in different projects. And um, at some point, I realized that uh, what I wanted was to use these technologies and apply them to help uh, the agriculture sector. And I say, okay, but uh, I have no clue about insurance what do I do? Okay. <laughs> so I think it was, um, you know, it's like uh, surround yourself with the things, with the people that have the knowledge you don't have. Uh, and I got to to meet two co-founders that are coming from the insurance sector. One from the more technical angle, that is the risk angle. So one of my co-founders is an actuary. And the other co-founder was coming more from a business angle, from an agri-insurance business angle. So we kind of blended all very well. Oh, that's really interesting. So you picked the right team to kind of compensate. And you guys have been doing this, the three of you, for five years now, right? Since it's been about... 19. Yeah, since 2019. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, what what has that journey looked like? I mean, five years almost or since 2019... Um, of doing this, you know, what, what is it like being an ag tech founder or an insure tech? I don't know. Do you identify more as an insure tech fa- company or agri tech? What is your identity? I think it's more insure tech. I will define us okay. more as an insure tech. So, I mean, like every startup, uh, it has been very bumpy, um, but probably we are, you know, even more because we are doing a lot of complex stuff together. Like, uh, you know, agriculture is a very scary market for people. Uh, If you combine that with insurance, that is a very unknown (laughs) with space. (laughs) Uh, It's like we are at the intersection of three challenging markets. So finding, you know, simplifying our story, simplifying what we do, uh, convincing people on on betting on us for uh, agriculture in emerging markets. Uh, It has been a a challenging journey, but a very rewarding one. So um, bumpy, but uh, rewarding. (laughs) I love that. So um, you've touched on this a couple times already, and I want to dig deeper you mentioned, you know, 5% of um, emerging economies have access to insurance. You know, you just touched on it again. You said, you know, it's really rewarding to help some of these communities. You mentioned places like Singapore. Um, I know in previous discussions, we've talked about India. 
so what is some, what are some of these foreign projects you're working on? Uh, maybe you have a case study you can share that also highlights a bit of this bumpy road, even that you're that you're <laughs> insinuating. Because yeah, it, it's definitely not easy to to do what you're doing. Yes, and and the thing is that every case uh, at the end we are always looking to the same parameters. So it's always about rain, wind, temperature, but it's so broad. <laughs> at the same time, is for example, we are uh, doing a countrywide typhoon product in the Philippines. So we are covering the entire Philippines. And at the moment, we are protecting more than 200,000 people and growing fast there. Uh, in India, we have launched very interesting uh, insurance product, one for the dairy sector. So in summer, uh, uh, dairy cows produce around 30% less milk. And with a heat wave, this uh, drop in yield is even more pronounced. So we did uh, an insurance product to compensate dairy farmers for this loss of income due to heat. Um, we have done products all around, all across India for unseasonal rainfalls, for multiple crops. Um, we are also doing very specific analysis for some uh, crops like uh, vanilla in, uh, in Madagascar, um, barley in India, coconut in the Philippines. So we are looking at it from a perspective of, okay, let's understand uh, you know, the effect on climate on a particular um, commodity or, or value chain and see what type of products will really make a difference uh, for the value chain, not only for the farmer, but the entire value chain. Um, because normally we only see the farmer. It's like the point of the iceberg. <laughs> and they... Uh, they get so much pressure in general from the entire um, supply chain and the risk they are facing us are very uh, disproportionate compared to, uh, you know, risk reward ratio is uh, very bad <laughs> for farmers compared to other players in the value chain. So we are also trying to involve more players in the value chain to again, be part of the solution. Um, and, and that's uh, one of the, the reasons why we are also opening the spectrum in many countries, many crops, to, to work with as many cases uh, as possible to find, you know, uh, there is always first movers. Uh, like in India, uh, we had a, um, overwhelming success with uh, this daily heat stress product. And, and this is because there is a real market need uh, with uh, people understanding that they have a problem and understanding they need a solution and appreciating insurance. So we keep looking for these uh, opportunities. Yeah, I, I, I really think it's amazing that you didn't just say, hey, I'm going to do this, but work with really established markets that understand insurance and just, you know, where it's very turnkey, we just plug in. But you also decided to take this route of education 
and restructure in emerging markets. I mean, that in itself is a whole nother challenge because I'm assuming a lot of the conversations, you know, start with, first of all, why is insurance important, right? Um, so it's, yeah, it's really beautiful that you guys have done that and, and really taken on these challenges. So how does that work from a kind of practical standpoint? Are you traveling to these countries regularly? Are you doing educational seminars? Are you working mostly with organizations that handle that for you? I, just from a strategic partnership standpoint, how have you managed to tackle these foreign markets? So, I mean, our company is headquartered in Luxembourg, but we do also have a company in India and we have people in, in Asia. We have people in, uh, in Africa at the moment in these two continents. Um, so we have local presence, but definitely uh, we cannot do the educational part and awareness part ourselves to uh, individual farmers. So we work with uh, like-minded organizations and it's a bit the uh, uh, approach of the train the trainer. So we uh, work with uh, partner organizations that have a mandate to, to increase financial literacy, uh, to help um, you know, uh, farmers in becoming more productive. Um, and they are doing a lot of work in this respect. Um, so we make sure we are um, providing them all they need to, to do this. And of course, in the more B2B angle, so when we are working with big uh, cooperatives or uh, ingredients companies or banks, uh, then of course, we, it makes sense that we do directly this job of explaining uh, why insurance and what type. Um, but at the individual level, we work with uh, partner organizations that uh, have this mandate. Yeah. Okay. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that allows for mutual synergy and um, really easy rollout um, in that sense. So kind of, you know, you've mentioned the word risk, I think, I didn't count yet, but probably a hundred times in this call alone. And I think, you know, you said this to yourself, insurance providers are investing into risk. And you just said something also really fascinating. Um, you had said that there's disproportionate risk in the supply chain of food and agri. My question to you would be, what how would you define some of these issues around risk and how would you, if you could change the industry, you know, at a snap of a finger, what would you like to, and I know that's impossible, but let's just play out the scenario of a, a dream scenario. You know, what, how would you potentially try to solve this? And I, cause I think it plays a lot into what you're doing at um, Ibiza is, you know, you, you built the startup because you recognize this, these risk problems. So maybe, Let's yeah. What what what? When I say risk, and also this disproportionate risk, what what does that mean to you? And how 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 would you solve it? Or what are you? How are you trying to solve it? Mm -hmm. So I mean that's a huge of a problem. But <laughs> when when I was uh, also a kid, 
uh, I used to be in the negotiation of Celine of the lemons. So mm. we would say, okay, the market is like one kilo of lemons will be, I don't remember exactly because inflation uh, appeared, but uh, imagine that you say, okay, we sell lemons per kilo in uh, 20 cents. 20 cents is one kilo. And I was, I mean, young and naive. So then I was going to the supermarket and I was seeing the same kilo at uh, 1.5 euro. And I was saying 1.5 minus 20 cents, where is this 1.3 <laughs> going? And I think this, I mean, this relates today where we see that the farmers um, have most of the risk, um, but they get the the less margin on the on the on, on what the consumer will pay of a good uh, if you look at the supply chain the rest of the i mean the rest of the chain has other ways of de-risking if today the lemons of spain uh, are less or less goods or whatever they can buy from another country so there is always another supplier in another place typically uh, so there is a way to to the risk or you know food companies can buy options uh, so they have ways of de-risking but the farmer has no way to de-risk themselves against the drought so I think now of course there is a trend changing fast with everything around uh, responsible sourcing and resilient supply chains that are going to to change the dynamics there because um, sourcing will be tight i mean sourcing will become less flexible mm -hmm. and by becoming less flexible the risk that the farmer has will be more noticeable uh, for the the person buying, for the company buying. So I think at that point there will be a bit of change. Um, but what we are trying is to accelerate also this change. Like for example, in, uh, in contract farming uh, transactions, where in the same moment you have input providers, you have uh, financial institutions with loans or the same uh, corporates giving credits and you know the procurement of a commodity and all this is happening in the same moment, mm -hmm. let's say. And, and this could be a perfect moment for all the stakeholders to, to share risk um, and and not load everything into the farmer, for example, just thinking, uh, <laughs> dreaming, mm -hmm. dreaming uh, forward. So this is something that we are trying to to discuss with the industry uh, because that will de-risk. I mean, that will remove a bit of the burden on the farmer. At the same time, making uh, the entire chain more resilient. So removing risk from the different parts of the chain. Um, at the moment, the pain is not acute enough in some parts of the chain, but I think with um, 
with you know the the evolution of supply chains this will become uh, mainstream so this is one element and moving into a different angle uh, another thing that we do a lot is to partner with distribution players that are uh, already very rooted into the market and we do a lot of uh, embedded insurance so products that are attached to another service and sachet so this is uh, very cheap insurance products uh, with very low cover uh, but that is a very good way to give a taste of insurance mm -hmm. to discover insurance not by awareness but by uh, actual <laughs> practice to say yeah. okay this is just uh, you know a two percent uh, on top of what i pay let me try it to to see what happened and we have a lot of good experience in launching these products and then becoming uh, a bigger opportunity for for the policyholders, uh, but also for the industry. So I think there are two aspects in, in what yeah. you mentioned. One is like, you know, a mindset change, but this takes this take time. And the other is a much more, uh, you know, today's uh, opportunity that is with embedded insurance and with uh, low ticket insurance to, to demonstrate the value of something uh, with a very, uh, very in a very affordable manner. So this um, kind of this low barrier insurance that you spoke of, and you mentioned it's implemented with established players. Can just for clarification purposes, does that equate to like a, a retail buyer, for example? Would you work so that's the angle you're working on is the actual um, upstream side of the supply chain? Yes, for example, with a credit provider, so a microfinance institutions or a bank giving uh, input loans, um, agri loans, this could be one, um, an input provider selling agriculture inputs, an agri-tech uh, providing uh, market linkage services to farmers, so... So we haven't found the uh, the incentive yet for the actual buyers who are causing some of the uh, risk issues, right? We're still working on the peripheral because one thing, you know, and, and thank you for clarifying because it, it to me shows the an issue that I think about a lot, which is, you know, there's there's kind of two options. There's one, we take the supply chain as it is today and we try to massage however we can, right? And make it better. So what you're doing is, is, a, is a great way. You're working with um, the actual issue and you're saying, hey, we're going to de-risk by providing better insurance um, technology, right? Or you're working with these input providers and you're bringing in um, solutions with existing partners, right? Um, but the other, and it's a much more radical thought process is how do we actually look at restructuring the supply chain right and actually decluttering the supply chain making it more resilient spreading some of that risk and you know we don't have to have the answers to that today in the podcast um but i think you know you, you raise a really good point because we have to make this decision in agriculture food and agri supply chain specifically you know do we 
hold on to what we've been doing and try to optimize and improve? Or do we kind of um, go down the path of, of maybe more radical change, which might then happen through policymakers or, or, or other um, institutions? And I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that? I don't know if that was triggering anything, but it's just, yeah, you, you brought yeah, that yeah. into light. I think this change is happening. And as you just say, it's also driven by policymakers uh, because now there is more, I mean, in, uh, in Europe, there is this new directive also uh, and uh, all around ESG and, 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 and responsible sourcing. And this is happening. I mean, there is uh, no doubt that this is happening. Um, from our angle is to bring the insurance perspective early on so that people uh, identify it as a tool in this process of, uh, of changing. Um, but this is definitely happening. We just want to be early in the game. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think insurance is definitely going to be a major milestone into achieving what we call like the de-risk the de-risk of of agriculture um so just one last question on this topic what when you said responsible sourcing and you know you said it's linked to esg and um, a lot of the sustainability initiatives but but what does responsible sourcing truly mean to you if you were to define it for me i mean responsible sourcing means a closer relation with your suppliers, uh, meaning that it's not, it's more a partnership that, that, than a transactional relationship uh, where the buyer has, uh, you know, a true um, objective of making the supplier better, more productive, uh, with a better production. Sometimes people is looking for more quality uh, I think uh, now, yes, the farmer is the weakest link of the chain, but this situation can turn <laughs> because uh, sometimes, you know, you want to buy, I don't know, cacao and, and then one year there is not enough uh, supply and what happened, the prices will skyrocket. Um, there will be a, you know, a lot of issues and, uh, and because of that, there is also an interest to secure the producers, to make them more loyal, to help them become more resilient so that they are not going to be wiped out after an event and, and that they uh, adapt and become also more, um, um, you know, that they can produce better, produce more, uh, more optimized. Yeah. <laughs> so that at the end, the entire chain is, uh, is optimized and the value for the consumer is, is there and, and they have, um, you know, a competitive advantage against competition or, or others. So I think it's a win-win situation uh, where um, the relationship is, less transactional and mm -hmm. more partnership between buyer and supplier. And, and, and you're completely right because historically, 
you know, there's always been, like you said, another origin, another supplier, somebody who could replace if really things got bad, right? But you saw, and this is why, you know, now coming full circle to the beginning of the conversation where you said, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of changes happening. I think for me personally, this is one of the bigger changes I've seen since COVID, right? Because in COVID, the supply chains were challenged. You know, we saw empty shelves in the UK for the first time ever. Certain suppliers couldn't supply maybe due to a climate event or or maybe also due to, um, you know, containers, issue, issues with logistics. Um, and uh, we're, you know, you're, we're on the front lines of starting to see change, but it comes from a pla- place of pain, right? And I think maybe what you're also trying to do is, is create a place of incentive. Um, and I think that that would be an interesting notion for me is, like you said, as you see more of these kind of joint partnerships, strategic partnerships between buyers and suppliers that one also could co-incentivize um, some of that success. And some of that is happening naturally, like you said, I think um, we're seeing more and more coinciding um, desire to be successful because a retailer having no food on the shelves is, is really truly detrimental because that's the competitive landscape as well. If you know, another retailer then has it, you're suddenly at risk. Um, and, and there's that word again, risk. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I, I would like to just go back. I mean, one quick question. Did you want, did, is this what you wanted to do as a kid? I mean, I can't imagine young you was thinking let me go and solve the problems of supply chains um what what did you want to be as a kid hey i mean i wanted to work in customs (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i mean i think i've moved uh, through different uh, wishes yeah um i never had like a clear uh, idea like a fixed in my mind idea um, but it, it's more you know um, evolution mm-hmm. what I was aiming for and something that I always had in in the back of my mind is that I want to create value mm-hmm. it's like whatever I do I want to create value um, and this has been my north star <laughs> until now mm-hmm. Like more than the what is uh, the outcome. No, I love that. And I think, um, I think that I can see that in you just every time we talk, you, you keep bringing that true desire and it, and it's amazing because you're actually solving problems. You're not just speaking about solving problems. I mean, you have real case studies where you're actually solving problems. So what words of wisdom would you give a young listener who maybe wants to follow a similar career path or, you know, follow a bit in your footsteps. I mean, what, what were some right moves you made, you know, at, at a certain point in your career um, where you said, okay, that was my aha moment. That's something I've passed on to, to others. Well, I think it's always, um, you know, think if not doing something, if you don't do something if you will regret it like it's better to do something and fail that uh, don't do and regret i think yeah. this is uh, one thing that is always uh, top of mind and the other thing is that uh, when you are doing something 
if this something has the possibility of impacting uh, more people, then you are bringing more value. And at the end, you are being more successful as well. But uh, the, the point is that um, the more people you can impact, the, the more value you bring. It's a bit like, uh, you know, again, Bill Gates to close the circle yeah. and, and, and Microsoft. At the end, we all have, or many people has a Microsoft an office license. Uh, you know, uh, they are in everybody's uh, household impacting many lives and bringing a lot of value. So I think it's, it's a bit the same. It's thinking in solving large problems for many people. Absolutely. No, I, I, I really appreciate that. And I think to start a startup, you have to absolutely have the do and don't be afraid to fail uh, mentality. So in ter- last question, what, what can we expect next from uh, Ibiza Network? I mean, what, what's next in the pipeline? What should we be on the, on the lookout for? So our next months are extremely exciting. (laughs) Um, One of the core, I mean, one of our core markets is India and we are going to be launching very interesting products in the next few months to the markets uh, for agriculture and adjacent industries. So it it will take us a lot of effort. Um, but we are also starting to expand in West Africa. Okay. So we are looking to some specific uh, commodities and some specific markets in the region because we see um, a lot of need and potential here. Um, so these two things will be uh, taking most of our time in, in the next few months. Okay, cool. West. Yes. So what you, you, you just dive right into like the most notoriously risky areas and say, okay, <laughs> how are we gonna, how are we gonna fix this? And I think, honestly, after speaking today, the, the name of the podcast will definitely have to have the risk. Word risk <laughs> okay. Um, no, but thank you so much, Maria. Um, any final words you'd like to leave with the audience? When uh, you think of insurance, it's not the most uh, sexy product that you want to go out and buy. But when something happens, I can tell you from experience that you get very happy when when you are insured. And especially if the insurance is uh, as easy and and smooth as the ones we we are bringing to market. So, yeah, I was not... Um, I mean, I was not um, that much understanding the market until I got into the market uh, of insurance, and now I'm uh, I'm a very convinced person. <laughs> yeah, and and okay, and final anecdote from my side. I mean, um, for those that don't know, I, I my family has a, a farm in the United States, and. Uh, I worked on the farm and dealt a lot with the insurances and, you know, the one thing, and they, they actually, and I I haven't told you this, Maria, they contracted me uh, or didn't contract me. They just asked me, um, the insurance provider to do a small blurb on, on why insurance is important. And at the end of this blurb and, you know, they did all these recordings that came out to the farm and they like filmed me in different areas talking about insurance and how important insurance is for, for agriculture. 
Um, the one thing that they really emphasized is when I said, you know, in, agri-insurance helps us sleep better at night. <laughs> and they just like that became their um, their slogan almost for for this little stint or this little blurb that I did or this little it was almost like an advertisement. Right. Um, and it's really true. It does help you sleep better at night and having good policies. I think, you know, we're not we're not going into a world that's getting any easier. I don't see climate events or climate anomalies becoming less in the future. I think they're going to maintain um, or, or even get worse, right? More hailstorms, more frosts, more um, typhoons, like you said. I mean, anything is possible nowadays. So I, I agree with you completely. I think having good insurance providers, having good insurance partnerships, having good data, technology, um, simple plans, because otherwise we, we might be facing a whole other issue, right? Which is agribusinesses going insolvent and, you know, uh, potentially a food, food crisis, right? Exactly. I mean, that's the thing that we, we kind of overlook is, um, yeah, the economy and the way it's functioning and everything moving together. I mean, we're still subject to mother nature. And, um, if, if mother nature, you know, keeps on this path and, uh, we're really opening ourselves up to vulnerability, um, financially, and then later potentially then for, for food, security. So um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I'm going to encourage everyone to, to look you up. Um, we'll post the uh, contact details for you in the comments uh, and also um, refer everyone to your website. Perfect. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Tridge, the leading global intelligence and networking platform for agriculture. Visit us at www.tridge.com to find out more.